Welcome to the International Civil Society Centre's Futures and Innovation podcast. I'm Vicky Tung, the Programme Manager for Futures and Innovation here at the Centre. Our annual innovation report brings into focus innovations that can benefit international civil society organisations and also shows in turn how these organisations are benefiting society in challenging or complex contemporary contexts. This podcast episode forms part of our 2020 edition on civil society innovation and urban inclusion, highlighting how a range of organisations are working in cities around the world to deliver inclusive solutions for whole communities or particularly marginalised or vulnerable groups of residents. In each of these podcast case stories, we really want to lift the lid on these innovations and hear directly from the people at the heart of designing and delivering them. Today, I'm really excited to be talking to two colleagues from the organisation Urban Refugees, Julia Zaradine, the Advocacy Coordinator, and Jessica Salad, Head of Mission for the Urban Refugees Incubation Programme, or Europe, in Uganda. We'll also be joined later on in the episode by different partners involved in this innovative programme. Thank you both so much for joining me today, Julia and Jessica. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this chat. Thank you for having us, Vicky. So, Julia, if I could start with you, could you introduce Urban Refugees and the key parts of your work, please? Yes. So, Urban Refugees is a French non-profit organization founded in 2012, whose mission is to support refugee-led organizations to become key stakeholders in the urban refugee response. Urban Refugees' mission is based on three primary pillars of action. The first pillar is our capacity-building Urban Refugees Incubation Program, Europe. It was piloted in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and it is currently ongoing in Kampala, Uganda. It is designed to support ambitious refugee-led organizations, or RLOs, to grow in maturity and provide improved services to their communities while being recognized as strong stakeholders in the refugee response. The second pillar is engaging in advocacy work, which supports refugee leaders to influence decision-making processes. We do this through training and joint actions with refugee-led movements, such as the Global Refugee-Led Network African Chapter, and by encouraging stakeholders, such as donors and international NGOs, to support refugee-led organizations, especially by strengthening their capacities. The third pillar is our program for sharing best practices with stakeholders to maximize impact and recognition of RLOs as equal partners of the refugee response. Thanks, Julia, and we'll dive into different aspects of this throughout the interview. Jessica, we're going to focus on the incubation programme for refugee-led organisations as a specific innovation which we're exploring here, and you're leading that in Uganda. What is the big idea behind the programme? Thank you, Vicky. The core concept of our incubation programme is to facilitate refugee-led organisations to be positioned and prepared as strong and efficient stakeholders of the refugee crisis response. We deliver training sessions based on the organizational challenges and needs to strengthen the skills and ensure improved services and activities supporting the communities. Urban Refugees' goal is aligned with the aid localization agenda, which requires that community-based organizations such as RLOs, refugee-led organizations, are recognized as equal partners in the refugee response. This includes the ability not only to receive and manage funds autonomously, but also to design and implement projects and participate in the different levels of humanitarian aid. To achieve this goal, refugee-led organizations must have strong organizational skills and therefore receive technical support from NGOs. Urban Refugees' comprehensive mentorship and organizational capacity building supports urban refugee-led organizations to expand their reach and services to be connected with frontline humanitarian providers and enhance their organizational and financial sustainability. So as Julia said, we had a pilot project in Malaysia in 2016, and we expanded to Uganda in 2019 for a three-year program. So to better understand the scale and dimensions of the problem you're solving, Julia, could you share some of the big picture statistics at a global level? Firstly, at the global level, contrary to popular belief, more than 85% of refugees reside in so-called developing countries and more than 60% of all refugees live in urban areas out of camp settings. Currently, there are almost 79.5 million forcibly displaced people in the world, including 26 million refugees, expected to rise to more than 250 million in 30 years due to climate change. This number continues to grow, but the resources are not growing proportionately. And in 30 years, 
we expect this number to be more than 250 million displaced people due to climate change. And Jessica, in the Ugandan context where you work, who are the main different refugee communities? We estimate about 1.4 million refugees in Uganda, which are mostly South Sudanese because of the border, and who are mainly based in settlement in northern Uganda. The capital city, Kampala, hosts about 6% of this refugee population. Kampala is home to around 3 million inhabitants, according to recent figures, and among them, we estimate 80,000 refugees hosted there, which majority of Congolese and Somalis, but with also a small population of South Sudanese, Sudanese and Burundians. Within our program, we work for this year one of our incubation program. We have mainly an organization of South Sudanese and a Sudanese Women Association. For the year two, we will work with Somalis and a network uh, covering different nationalities. This network is called the Refugee-Led Organisation Network, and I spoke to one of its founding members, Robert Hakiza, who is also the Executive Director at the organisation Young African Refugees for Integral Development, or YARID, based in Kampala. I asked Robert more about the context for refugees and refugee-led organisations in Uganda. So YARID is a refugee-led organization that has been operating in Kampala for now several years, I think 10 years and plus, where I've been focusing on supporting refugees, you know, to integrate and uh, become self-reliant. And uh, we've been getting involved in so many activities, starting from uh, uh, supporting the new arrivals who have just come in the country uh, and uh, the role we're playing is uh, especially supporting those who are facing uh, uh, challenges of not being able to speak the language so we teach them um, the language so that they can be able to communicate but also we support them uh, to, with directions and advices to take them through in this refugee eligibility system so that uh, they can uh, acquire, they can get papers and uh, documentation to allow them to live in Uganda. And we've been uh, for, uh, for all these years trying to also at the same time interact with uh, other refugee-led organization, community organization to help them, you know, like to share experiences and, and, and so uh, so. That, 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 that is it. So we've been involved in the different uh, uh, activities and uh, services to support refugees in Kampala. Yeah. So what I can say uh, as a refugee-led organization, I can say, of course, when you look at, uh, at uh, the policies uh, governing refugee system in Uganda, I can say we exist because the law of Uganda allows refugees to organize themselves in a uh, associations and organizations and that is the reason why we're there but for us to be there it doesn't mean that uh, everything is moving on very well because uh, i can say that we're facing uh, different challenges so when you look at uh, the role that we're playing it's actually a significant role and especially that refugee-led organizations are playing at the community level to supporting their communities. And uh, what you want to see, uh, like if I can give, for instance, my experience at Yarid, when I look at uh, the time that we started up to when we managed to start getting resources, allowing us to implement our activities, it, has, it took us almost six years, I think five years and plus. All these years, we've been just surviving, trying to rely on uh, or support that we get from uh, individuals, uh, volunteers coming in and uh, who likes and appreciate what we're doing. And uh, you know, it's, it has been not uh, really very easy for us. It's only after five years that we managed to secure uh, the very first funding. And you can imagine all these years we're just struggling. And uh, with, with this, you can also imagine how many of these other refugee organizations are writing down their, uh, the challenges that they are facing because the, it's, it's, it's very difficult to access uh, the resources to implement uh, activities for refugee-led organizations because uh, I think the priority for so many donors is being put to, to other organizations they don't too much consider refugee-led organizations. So this is the struggle we've been in this is part of the challenge that also Yarid as a refugee-led organization had to face for so many years. Even up to now, it's much better, 
because we've been now so too much connected, getting connected to the wider network outside, outside of the country, but it hasn't been really easy for us. And uh, that's so for so many other refugee-led organizations. Though Uganda uh, has been allowing refugees to live in urban area, I think that's something that you may know, uh, though they have been allowing refugees to live in urban area, but uh, it was uh, the support given to refugees has been actually uh, more too much focusing on the refugee in the in the in the in the in the, in the, in the settlement. That means uh, in most cases, in, uh, refugees who live in the in the urban area are expected to cater for themselves, and that is the reality on the ground. Because if you are a refugee and you in Kampala and you cannot uh, afford to to to, to, to cater for your for your basic need, then you, you cannot manage in Kampala. So at least someone should have something to do so that you can be able, you know, to to, to pay for your bills and uh, rent, uh, you know, I mean, accommodation to take the children to school and, and, and the services, uh, accessing services. Of course, when you look at uh, the policies in place, they allow refugees to access this uh, government facilities when it comes to education and the health. But uh, of course, when uh, it's something that you usually talk about, like uh, when you talk about uh, education, we call it uh, free, but not free. It means it's free in, in theory, but in, in practice it's not free because when you look at uh, the requirements that uh, refugees are supposed to cover in order to send their children to school, it's, uh, it's uh, sometimes not easy for them to afford. And uh, you see that's why uh, many of the refugee children are still out of school because parents cannot afford that. When it comes to the health facilities, of course they can access, they can go to this government uh, clinic uh, that are uh, in a different division or to the main uh, Mulago hospital. But of course, you can see them if you can manage to see the doctor, that means getting to the, the medication and stuff you have to, to find where to, to buy them or money to buy them. You see how difficult it is. And when it comes to the cities, the situation that uh, is uh, happening in Uganda, we went to see that. Uh, all, all the information regarding refugees are concentrated at the ministry level, at OPM, Office of Prime Minister. You're going to see that there is not much information when it comes to the uh, um, local government level. Like if you go at the division level, where, for instance, I am right now in Makinge Division, if you go at the city uh, office of Makinge Division, there is no information about refugees. So everything is concentrated at, uh, at uh, the ministry level, and which makes actually sometimes things very, very, very difficult. This uh, top-down approach uh, stuff. Refugee to register, they have to go and start at the office of prime minister. And yet it will be, I think, uh, 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 easy for them to register wherever they reach, like let's say in a Makinje division, uh, it would be much easier for them to go and register from the city uh, office here, then the information are taken to the to the ministry level. But the fact that it starts on top there, it's there is always a gap when it comes to the flow of information from top to down. So that's that the situation and it brings, uh, it gives too much uh, a problem when it's come to uh, even the local uh, leaders to understand clearly who are the refugees, uh, what's the challenge that they're facing. And when people don't know the issues, then they will not definitely not be able to support. Yeah. What, what is the possibility to interact and build a relationship at the city level? So when you look like here where we are in Kampala City, you know, in Kampala City, for instance, everything where we, everything is under the Kampala City Authority, KCCA. So that, that, that's the, the entity that governs all, everything in, in, in Kampala City here. But uh, Kampala City itself, as I said, is divided in different uh, divisions. Makindye Division, Central Level, where each division has a mayor. And I remember, like in 2016, is it 16? We had uh, we organized a meeting uh, together with a partner from Sweden. It was a meeting that we brought, uh, we, we invited the, the, the local councillors to come and uh, discuss about the issue of refugees. And uh, when we brought them actually in the, the mayor of Makinde plus the councillors, this was the very first time for them to hear about, uh, to be part of the discussion about refugees. And I remember the mayor, he said, 
how what can we do to be supported to have a refugee desk at the Makindia division level? You can understand because this was actually the very first time that we were involved in this kind of discussion. So there is still a gap somewhere there. Yeah. The, we, there was a, 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 a workshop that organized and we invited the, 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 the Kampala City Authority executive director was invited to come to be part of the discussion. That was in 2017. And uh, when he came, actually because she couldn't come that time, the lady was in charge, she, she, there was another person she sent to, to, uh, to represent her. And I remember when the guy was given a, a chance to come and, uh, and, uh, and talk about what uh, KCCA is doing uh, about, uh, about doing for refugees or what information they have. And I remember the guy came with a, a blank slide and it was really funny, but I, I like the honesty of, uh, of that guy because it came, because everyone was supposed uh, you know, to uh, come up with slides, PowerPoints, and he came with a blank slide and uh, he said, the first slide that you can see here, this is the information that we have about refugees in Kampala. The second one, the people are saying, oh, this is blank. What are you talking about? They say, okay, I know they are blank. And uh, I want us just to be honest and uh, to tell you that uh, when it comes to the refugee, we don't have any information. So we are here to learn. And uh, from that time, that is, was the beginning actually when uh, KCCA, we, we started seeing, uh, because uh, seeing KCCA trying now to start getting uh, close to, to the refugees. They, from that time, uh, they promised that refugees will be, uh, they, will, they were planning to put refugee in uh, their city planning, though it has never happened because they promised to do it in the following year. But up to now, I'm not so sure it has happened, but uh, at least there is a little bit of progress somewhere because the discussion is uh, undergoing. I also spoke to leaders from two of the refugee-led organisations currently involved in year one of the incubation programme in Uganda. First, I asked Shima Barre Abdallah, Deputy Chairperson of the Sudanese Women for Peace and Development Association, to share some of the everyday experiences from the Sudanese refugee community in Kampala. Sudanese uh, refugee community goes uh, very many uh, difficulties in every day, but uh, let me focus on women because uh, this is the category that we focus. They go through many difficulties, uh, starting from adapting uh, to a new country. They come from uh, Sudan, where people speak Arabic, uh, entering to Uganda, whereby people uh, speak English, so they, they, they don't know how to communicate or interact with the hosting community and other communities. Many difficulties to get job also, especially for Sudanese women as the culture does not allow some women to work and most of them also come from whereby uh, women are not educated, very many women are not educated. And this one is start making sexual gender-based violence and domestic violence because here mostly the whole house will be in the shoulder of the man and then man cannot uh, be able to feed the children and, and get school fees and, and pay for the rent and start by violating women and children's rights. When the woman is not working to support the man, the man will get tired of taking care of all the house and start violating the women's rights and the children's rights. Here, women doesn't know where and how to go and report, maybe because of the language barriers and also because they fear to be discriminated within the community. I also asked Kaedri Idri, Administrator of the United South Sudanese Urban Refugees Community, about some of the experiences of the South Sudanese refugee community in Kampala, including during the COVID-19 pandemic. We have, we have a lot of experience that we face in urban here as refugees, and we are able to identify three of them that we will be speaking for the purpose of this meeting. One of them is uh, the livelihoods. In the livelihoods, we have limited access of refugees accessing the services within uh, Kampala here. The government of Uganda have a brilliant program for the children, they call it UPE, which is Universal Primary Education. That is children to go for free for, in schools and uh, also access to the hospitals. People have to go and access health services for free. However, refugees is not able to access this for some different purpose that we don't know. When you go to schools, you will be asked for money and uh, of which a refugee is not getting money. 
so they are not accessing the schools. You will find children at, at home, they are not going to schools, and they're not also going to hospitals and get the services that are meant to be for free. During the COVID-19, also it, uh, the, the government came up with a, with a program that is, students have to study through the e-learning program, whereby uh, they access it through the TV stations and the radio stations. But many refugees are not having such gadgets as radios and TVs. So it becomes difficult for the children of the refugees to access the education that is meant to be through e-learning. Number two, we have the, the issue of the connectivity. In Kampala here, uh, the government has made it a very good one that if you are to have one SIM card, you need to have a, a valid ID. That is passport, be it national identification or the refugee's ID. But for some time, refugees are not given opportunity to register with the IDs. So it made it very difficult for them to acquire a SIM card that allows them to communicate with their loved ones. You get to, under, to, to know what is going on and get updated and you know the importance of the, of the SIM card. Also, they are not able to open up the bank accounts. During the COVID-19, we have uh, Mercy Corps as a company who provided the refugees with some little grand cash, support them with feeding. But refugees are not able to open up a bank account to access this money. So it became also a big challenge to us as leaders to see our people going hungry and they're not able to get what they want, what they are supposed to get. We have the issue of the trauma that is increasing every day in our lives as refugees. This is because of various factors. One of them is, as I mentioned earlier here, access to school. We don't have uh, access to school. Uh, children are staying home. Men are not getting employment, health issues. We're not getting the health issues. So all these factors really is adding to the trauma. Some people, as they were coming from their countries of origin, they come because of a lot of issues be it insecurity, be it whatever that made them to become refugees. Remember, they are, not, they are not coming willingly. They are forced because of some circumstances. And that has added a lot of issues into their mind that led to this trauma. So we have a lot of trauma that is increasing in our community. Given these challenges, I also asked Shima and Kedri about the role their organisations play in supporting the inclusion of their communities in the Kampalan context. Firstly, Shima for the Sudanese Women for Peace and Development Association. Uh, Refugee-led organizations exist all over the world uh, uh, and they are in the best position to express and meet their community's uh, needs. Why? Because uh, they, uh, they know their communities better and they are in position to respond faster. Uh, for example, uh, we have a Sudanese Women's Association uh, deal with some cases as, em as emergency cases like uh, the, like uh, food, uh, food support, we give them for the most vulnerable women. We don't refer them because sometimes referrals take time to be answered. Uh, but we do uh, some referrals such as health and counseling assistance, uh, legal assistance. Uh, and we also do like uh, uh, English, English classes to just uh, with refugee services. And uh, we do uh, almost uh, about 100 referrals per year. Uh, we create opportunities for communities through trainings. We train them making liquid soap and craft. Uh, and, and this one helps them to develop and grow their businesses. We also, uh, we also have uh, direct aid uh, distributions uh, during Ramadan. Uh, we give them Ramadan bags which have sugar, rice and cooking oil which helps them to to uh, which help them during this period of ramadan and we give uh, between 350 to to, uh, to 500 uh, packages per year including the most vulnerable families we also distribute mama kits for the pregnant women uh, which contains pampa uh, baby carrier soap this one helped them for the for the this one helped them during the delivery, and this uh, we give between twenty to forty uh, kids per year. Uh, Refugee-led uh, organizations also work hard to improve the coexistence between refugee community and host community. Uh, for example, uh, the inclusion of the host community to join events to to meet with refugees, such as we have an International Women's Day, International Refugee Days, 
uh, in these cases, we, we call uh, uh, host community to join us and to be more, to interact with the, with the refugee communities. Uh, rule of Uganda, 30% of the beneficiaries must be from host community, but Sudanese Humanist Association go beyond that, and uh, we, we, we give uh, 40 to 45% from the hosting community, especially when we're distributing Ramadan bags and mama, mama kits. Like uh, we have, uh, for example, of uh, today, uh, we, uh, we have just uh, with refugee services call us that they have uh, uh, free health services like a medical checkup and medicine. And we call all our, our beneficiaries, including the host community, almost 50% uh, are from hosting community. So we also uh, uh, train them, like include them during our uh, trainings to come and train with, with the, with the uh, refugee community in order to be, uh, to, to interact. Uh, we, uh, we facilitate working opportunities between Ugandan uh, women and Sudanese women. For example, we have a uh, Sudanese associations member have a restaurant and half of the workers are from hosting community. And Kadri, for the United South Sudanese Urban Refugees Community. Generally, refugees-led organizations are uniquely set within the community and in the neighborhoods of their, where, where their people are, are living. You'll find the offices, their places are, are set within the, the, the localities of their people, where the majority of their people are. So this has given the, uh, them a chance to understand the life of their people much better. And then uh, given them chance to also uh, serve them much better where, the, where, where they, ca they, they can. Therefore, uh, the, core value, the core roles of our, of our community, we actually based on uh, the service delivery to our people. In service de delivery, we take uh, referrals. Uh, in referrals, we get to understand, first of all, the services that are offered by our partners, various part, uh, services. They have, then we get to understand our people's need and we get them, then we refer them particularly to where they are, they are to be given a particular support. So referrals become our big uh, role here, whether, to, whether for the government, whether to the NGOs, but what we do is a referral. So number two, we also opt to do counseling, having identified that we have a lot of traumas in our community. We saw that counseling is much important in our, to, to our people. Therefore, we established a counseling session that we support our people to help them get out of the trauma. Then uh, with the inclusion of this incubation program, we are able now to work hand in hand with the urban refugees, establishing a relationship partnership with a strong mind, which is a company that provides a professional counseling uh, sessions. Therefore, we are bringing them to our community so that they can offer these professional services to our people. Some of them who are traumatized, some of them who have gone uh, through a lot. And this is what we, uh, we also are doing at the community. Number three, we are doing the information dissemination. Acting as a head of office in our community, the setup of USAC or our community, we have uh, 10 uh, other zone, zones within the Kampala suburb. Therefore, it made it very easy for us to get one information in one day or in one minute, we can disseminate it all over Kampala. Most of our people will be able to get it immediately. So uh, this helps us so much. Whatever information we get from, uh, from a partner, we disseminated within within shortest period of time. Especially during COVID-19, we have been educating our people, and this is some of the things that we do through the information sharing. For example, uh, during the COVID-19, we have uh, people who are affected badly. We, we were able to gather their informations, and we were able to identify one of the partner who is supporting in the areas of the food and medication. So we were able to support, uh, refer many people who got uh, a lot of support in food, uh, food assistance and uh, medications. And uh, that has been positive to us in one of, the, one of the things that we do. Given the critical roles that community-based refugee-led organizations, as just described by Shima and Kayedri, it seems to be a huge missed opportunity that they're still excluded from current urban policies and processes. Julia, what are some of the factors behind this at a global level? At the global level, localization of aid was a core goal of the Grand Berging. 
the idea of encouraging meaningful participation of refugees in responses formally emerged in the 2018 Global Compact on Refugees in an additional objective to enhance refugee self-reliance. The compact also emphasized the role that civil society organizations, however, despite goodwill and efforts, rhetoric has not been yet transformed into action and some major barriers to RLO participation in governance processes are linked to the little progress made in the localization agenda. The failure is due to unequal access to funding and resources, unequal partnerships, mental barriers, and unbalanced power relations between donors, UN agencies, INGOs, and local community-based organizations. As the latest example, Response to the COVID-19 crisis has been mainly managed by international organizations and funding for local actors has remained scarce. Even if RLOs mobilize worldwide as frontline responders entering service continuity in areas like information sharing, food delivery, health, education, and protection, the argument of not having the capacity to manage a big amount of money has been heard again and again. So, one year after the Global Compact on Refugees and the UN General Assembly's reaffirmation of commitment to refugee participation, RLOs are still marginalized as they are, not receiving the resources to enhance their capacities and solidify their system to sustainably respond to their community needs. They are not receiving meaningful international funding. They are not considered equal partners and they are not given the opportunity to play a meaningful role at all levels of coordination. Even when RLOs are recognized by more formal stakeholders like governments or humanitarian actors, they are facing unrealistic goals and expectations in terms of what they are supposed to deliver with low level of support, resources, or training provided in exchange. As reasons for not engaging with refugee-led organizations, international organizations in position to subgrant and develop capacity building programs for RLOs cite requirements treat victim and compliance standards set by state and multilateral donors. There are political, legal, and procedural obstacles, which partially explain the lack of funds allocated to support RLOs. I agree, and I think what your programme shows and what we'll be able to discuss later is how, with the right expectations and the right levels and types of support, those RLOs can really develop to become equal partners. And we'll hear from, we'll hear from your partners again on that as well. To hear more about the challenges of inclusion for refugee-led organisations from a regional level in Africa, I spoke to Jean-Paul Kasika, a board member of the Global Refugee-Led Network African Chapter, which coordinates all the refugee-led organisations in urban areas of Africa. Jean-Paul is also Executive Director of the African Youth Initiative for Development, or IID, based in Nairobi, Kenya. With the interaction that we usually have because of I've been attached to most of the local organizations that uh, I also try to engage them because uh, I'm also an assistant uh, legal officer. So we've been trying to engage them saying that uh, this is the real time that uh, we need to bring the refugees on board. As in, in every matters that uh, affect their lives, why don't we bring them on board so that at least they can give their take? Because there is no possible way that uh, you will take decision on behalf of people who are there present. So instead, you need to include them in order to find solution together that suits them, rather than taking decisions or coming up with some project without even initiating them from the initial stage. So the reason why most of them, they were trying to advance some reasons that uh, refugee-led organizations or the refugee leaders uh, do not understand. Majority of, uh, especially here in Kenya and in East African, they thought maybe refugees never went to school. <laughs> they didn't know until the time when you can prove to them and you are working with them. Some of them could have that little trust in you, but uh, little by little now, they came to understand like uh, an example of 2007. 2007, there was a post-election violence in Kenya. So I remember we were the people who stood in the forefront with our communities, with the refugee community, assisting them, giving them some protection uh, needs and also some basic materials. 
So they never believed that refugees could come up with some initiatives or project that uh, would benefit their, their own. So basically they just say we don't have experience. Instead, they don't know amongst ourselves. We have also doctors who are also practicing in the, their facilities. But uh, if you come to understand how they are being paid, that's where the segregation starts. So we are being excluded, especially when it comes to payroll, ABCD. We are not being uh, trying to be paid equally, despite of the experience you have. The GRN, we are trying to fight for the space, especially for not only uh, the refugee community, especially the refugee-led organizations, to have also space during the and have a clear participation. When it comes to decision making, we are trying to secure a space so that we are part and parcel of any discussion that going on, so that at least all of us can try to find solutions on matters that are affecting the refugees, particularly when it comes to mobility, when it comes to work and livelihood, all that we are trying to advocate for our people and for our rights. So that is what we are trying, not only at the national level, also at the regional level, and also at large, at the global level. So it's something that has never happened before, but uh, we are trying our best level to see on how engaging different stakeholders so that we can also become partners, not to be looked at as beneficiaries. You're listening to the International Civil Society Centre's Futures and Innovation Podcast. This episode is part of our 2020 Innovation Report on Civil Society Innovation and Urban Inclusion. One of the inclusion dimensions we're focusing on in the report is integrated systems-wide approaches. Jessica, what does this look like for the incubation programme? As we have heard from Shima and Tiedri, IRELOs are already responding in an integrated way to multiple types of needs and works to improve the daily living condition for the communities they serve. Um, Urban Refugees has a comprehensive whole organization approach in providing training and mentorship to IRELO leaders in different areas, from project management to partnership, financial, man financial management, or income generation. Um, Urban Refugees' core concept is to adjust our incubation program to the different needs and, and context of each refugee-led organization. Different level of incubation program based on the degree of maturity of the RLOs and its own challenges. So, for example, our training curriculum for a relatively young organization such as the Sudanese Women for Peace and Development Association is completely different than the one we have with a solid and experienced organization such as Yarid. This also includes looking at the wider city ecosystem the RLO works in and creating and strengthening new strategic partnership between the RLOs and other humanitarian actors. Thanks. And Julia, as advocacy lead, how does urban refugees link these different pillars together? So from the community and city level uh, initiatives, some of which Jessica's just described, to your global policy influencing and advocacy? The Europe methodology developed by urban refugees is replicable, ready for dissemination, and aims to be deployed to many countries in various urban contexts. By training local RLOs with different profiles, such as target groups or level of maturity, and also through enrichment from best practices shared by like-minded NGOs, EURIP is an urban laboratory constantly improving with the aim of being adopted by international and local NGOs. Our organization has a limited impact. In order to maximize it, we advocate along with RLOs for donors and NGOs to apply the RIP methodology in their country of intervention. Given the 250 million displaced people in 30 years, there needs to be a systemic and global approach to RLO capacity strengthening that includes all actors in the refugee sector. Urban refugees support refugee-led organizations connects stakeholders around this issue and convinces actors of the importance of adopting its approach in urban areas. Another systems dimension is, of course, all the agencies, organisations and people involved in the initiative. 
Jessica, who are all the different types of key stakeholders involved in the delivery of the incubation programme? So um, urban refugees work in Kampala within a consortium led by IRC, the International Rescue Committee, um, along with Mercy Corps and Yarid, the strongest and solid, most solid uh, ILO in, in Uganda. We are funded by the Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration of the United States uh, Department of State. And each organization within this consortium has, a, has an objective. So Yarid and IRC work on protection and sexual and gender-based violence. Mexico work, works on livelihood and economic empowerment. And urban refugees works on capacity building and capacity strengthening of refugee-led organization. Uh, during our, within this objective of uh, building and strengthening the capacity of refugee-led organization, we have tried to involve different uh, actors within our program. So for example, we had uh, Robert, the director of Yarid, who shared his experience uh, with our refugee-led organization. We also have a communication officer who delivered a session during the communication training unit. And we also had contribution of expert and professional speakers who intervened during our module, um, especially the fundraising training unit, where we were working with refugee-led organization on how to write a proposal. And we had a panel of composed of UN officers and members of civil societies and NGOs who provided feedback and advice to, to our leaders uh, of refugee-led organization. So who are some of the other key stakeholders which the RLOs engage at a city level? So we can um, count uh, different kind of stakeholders. Um, for example, we have um, the government and um, different governmental officials. Uh, the refugee-led organization are in touch are really connected to the local council, what we call LC, which is a form of uh, local government within the district of Uganda. And the leaders of the refugee-led organization have to introduce themselves and the organization and the activities they do to avoid any potential issues and preserve social cohesion uh, with the host community. And that's uh, where during the event, usually they invite those um, members of the local council um, as well as members of the host community. They also have a connection with the refugee-led organization, also have connection with the private sectors at um, different levels. Some refugee-led organizations help their community members to create their own small-scale businesses. Uh, for example, urban refugees has also a training on income generation activity, or um, refugee-led organizations can refer to bigger INGOs who can provide small capital for those members, uh, those community members to uh, create their own small-scale business. Um, there are also refugee-led organizations also share uh, information on the process of business registration, or also, um, also other kind of um, advice um, on how to create their own business, which we have seen with Shima, for example, uh, help to create and preserve this relationship between host community and um, refugees, refugees community in Kampala. Also some refugee-led organizations have uh, created partnership with private sector companies to facilitate employment of their community members. Uh, for example, the U United South Sudanese Urban Refugees Community has uh, created a partnership with Uber. And to date, five to 10 South Sudanese refugees are in the process to be Uber drivers. Refugee-led organizations have also um, connection with um, some UN agencies specialized on the issue of migration and refugees, mainly uh, the IOM and the UNHCR. And um, during the lockdown, imposed due to the COVID-19 crisis, the United South Sudanese Urban Refugee Community met the World Food Programme officers to raise the issue of food insecurity among the refugee community. And they have set different meetings between WFP and the community members in the different um, zone districts. And we can assume that these meetings have contributed to the launch of WFP's response plan in Kampala which target now urban refugees uh, with food distribution and cash assistance. So during the lockdown due to COVID-19 crisis, the government has set up a plan of food distribution uh, to the most vulnerable population in Kampala. 
in some districts, uh, refugees have been able to receive those food, this food uh, distribution, but in many other dis districts, the refugees have been uh, marginalized and discrim discriminated uh, by, the com by the host communities themselves and also by um, the officer who didn't integrate the refugees within this plan of food distribution. And Julia, I know that you're part of an exciting initiative working with academia at a global level. Can you talk a bit about that, please? Drawing on the available data and expertise of our network of uh, like-minded NGOs, which is composed by Xavier Project in Kenya, St. Andrew's Refugee Service in Egypt, ALPS Resilience in South Africa, Sam Skies uh, in Malaysia, and uh, our self-urban refugees in Uganda, a network which uh, is composed by NGOs that are all building capacities of refugee-led organizations in urban areas. So we succeeded to get available data and expertise. Together, data set from this for all of our organizations provide information on over 75 refugee-led organizations in seven countries and include information on thousands of program beneficiaries, refugees and hosts alike. So we are currently working in partnership with academics to build evidence around the necessity of developing area low capacity building programs to improve the humanitarian aid. That sounds like another route to scale for some of your, your lessons from your program as well. So Jessica, what kind of inclusive outcomes are you seeing and have you achieved already with the incubation program so far? Our program demonstrates that when refugee-led organizations are empowered and when they acquire solid organizational skills, they are able to become key partners and they should be recognized as such. For example, for the Malaysia program, we have observed increase in the quantity and quality of services provided by refugee-led organizations to their community members. The Afghan Community Center, for example, has tripled the number of beneficiaries at the end of the incubation program. The Somali refugee community have set up a series of workshops, for example, on reproductive health and sexual gender-based violence in partnership with different partners, either local NGOs or UNHCR. We have also been able to observe an increased number of community members benefiting from programs or a better outreach and information sharing with beneficiaries, notably thanks to an enhanced digital strategies and a better use of social medias. Our training modules, such as fundraising, income generation, or financial management, have enabled the refugee-led organization to generate and mobilize diverse sources of income. And we can observe in Malaysia and in Uganda a diversification of sources of income after our training. So, for example, if we use the Ugandan program, we can see that before the, the, the beginning of the training, the refugee-led organization were relying only on contribution of their members or individual donation. Now they have also grant due to a successful proposal or they have set up uh, catering activities or diverse uh, income generating activities which give them different source of, sources of income and increase their financial sustainability. For our program in Uganda, our capacity building program takes time to monitor progress and we also have to take into consideration that we had to put on hold our program for four months due to the global pandemic. But so far we can already observe that the number of partnerships between the two refugee-led organizations we work with and INGOs have significantly increased. They have also been able to write many proposals and they have set up digital strategies or communication plan which has resulted in a better use of social media and a better community outreach. Our program, our Europe program, has also attracted the attention of donors, like the Fund for Refugee Initiative, particularly around the idea of creating a pool of donors supporting either refugee-led organizations directly or refugee-led organizations' capacity-building initiatives. I know the program is yet young in Uganda but we know that Shima and Keiji are already seeing big differences in their organisations, which I also spoke to them about. Firstly, Shima for the Sudanese Women for Peace and Development Association. Uh, the incubation programme helps uh, women to be more confident and more independent. Uh, like now, the, the programme we had with the urban refugee, which is for uh, capacity building training, help us to be more confident. Before, we didn't have confidence to even go and start the process of the registration of our organization. We were thinking to hire someone to do that process, but after getting this training now, we are, we, we, we are confident. We have that confidence and 
we, are, we have started, we, are, we have the independence, we started by ourselves to do uh, the process of the registration of our organization. Also, it gave uh, it, it us uh, new knowledge and skills, for example, uh, financial management training that we, we had. This one helped us not only in the level of the organization, but also at the individual levels. Now uh, our members know how to manage their businesses better than before. Uh, the incubation program helped us uh, to expand network of the organization and get new partners, which has increased the quality and the number of our referrals, such as IRC, International Rescue Committee, MassiCorp, and many others. Before we do very small number of referrals because of we had uh, very limited uh, uh, partners. Uh, we cannot refer more than 50 at once, but now we have enough uh, partners whereby we can divide the referrals and our community get the services that they uh, need. Uh, the incubation program uh, has helped us to step up and be more professional and to be uh, positioned as equal partners of any other organizations. Uh, before we, we, were, we were not very professional, like now, uh, we, 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 we didn't consider ourselves as, as uh, uh, refugee-led organizations. We, we, we used to send people to, to our partners to sit and prepare meetings and bring for us the feedback, but now we are able to, to email them, to follow up, to, to organize meetings, to sit with them in the round tables, to express ourselves and, 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 and see how to work together uh, better than before. Like, like now we, we are really, we see ourselves equal to any other organizations. And Kadri, for the United South Sudanese Urban Refugees Community. Incubation program has been a successful to us as a community or as a refugees-led organizations because uh, of the opportunity that does they offered us. They supported us in various ways and they have lifted our capacities in various ways. Though we have not yet finished it, but it is already a success. One, uh, incubation program is able to, to, to give us a concrete step to set up a barrier the, uh, to, to, uh, to refugees participation. So uh, we are able to build our capacities to face our, our, our partners. To the standard of the partners, we were able to act, we were able to work hand in hand, we were able to, to respond, and uh, we were able to satisfy the partners' demand, and that has given us a chance to work uh, smoothly with our partners. Number two, it has uh, given us a leadership opportunity to design our response. So let refugee-led organization we are able to, to design uh, our, our, our response to, to, to respond to our, to our partners. For instance, in communication, we're able to communicate now very well with our partners. We're able to organize our work with the partners. We're able to, 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 to design whatever program that we, we do previously that we were not able to do. Now we can do it much better with the, with the, with the, with the, with the coming of the incubation program. Number three, uh, incubation program has given us leadership confidence. You know, before, before then, we were not this confident. I'm sure if, 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 if I was to speak with you before the incubation program, by this time, I don't know, you might not be understanding <laughs> me. <laughs> but all thanks goes to the incubation program. It has been fantastic. It has lifted our boost, our, our, our capacities. It has empowered us to speak boldly with our partners. And we have the confidence now to speak to any other partner that might come in. We existed for some years, but we were not able to have any project proposal. Now, proudly, we can speak that we have four project proposals that we are running, just within the period that uh, we've started and uh, we have not yet finished. So we have one program that is called Cost Under the Urban Refugees. And number two, we have the COVID-19 response under urban refugees as well. Then number three, we have the li livelihood for youth and women empowerment under JCC, Joint Christian Council. Then lastly, we have the livelihood opportunity for South Sudanese women, which is also running. All this is running within the same time, and we are, we are, we are doing good so far. And this is all good because of the income program. If it was 
not there, I'm not sure whether we could have achieved all these four uh, projects that we are running at the same time. All thanks really goes to uh, incubation program. It's great to hear the changes these organisations are already being able to make to strengthen their work when they are needed now more than ever by their communities. On COVID-19 more broadly, Julia and Jessica, what are some of the adaptations which urban refugees has also made in response? During the first month of the global crisis, urban refugees' activities were slowed like the rest of the humanitarian agencies. Meanwhile, RLOs have mobilized to provide support and essential services in response to the pandemic. We supported urban refugee-led organizations by compiling advocacy videos of refugee community leaders in which they shared information about how lockdown measures and COVID-19 impacted refugees and asylum seekers in their community, articulated information about how RLOs were engaged in rapid response in the, to the pandemic, expressed RLO needs and formulated policy requests. Yeah, so program-wise, we also had been impacted by this COVID-19 crisis. So first, we instead of having weekly session, weekly training session with refugee-led organization, we had to put in place weekly assignment to keep a regular contact with the refugee-led organization members we have, and also to solidify the different learning and knowledge they have acquired in the past few months. We tried to set up online training session. I have to admit, weren't very successful due to weak and unreliable network. Since then, we also have applied as a consortium as a B, with the BPRM consortium for a COVID-19 response plan. And within this response plan, Urban Refugees is working with four organizations. So we have the Sudanese for Peace and Development Association. We have the United South Sudanese Urban Refugees Community. We also have the Somali Community Association of Uganda. We have the Refugee Entrepreneurship Association Limited. And we have the Refugee-Led Organization Network, which is a network of 20 refugee-led organizations based in, in Uganda. In terms of beneficiaries, this response plan will target over 13,000 community members, which comprise of about 10,000 women. In the activities, urban refugees will support refugee-led organizations in conducting community need assessment and identifying the most vulnerable individuals and households within the refugee-led organization communities. We also provide grants, so the refugee-led organization can provide direct assistance to community members. Urban refugees and the RLO will also work on designing and sharing accurate information related to COVID-19 measures, but also existing service in Kampala and how to create referral pathways with different humanitarian stakeholders. And finally, we will support them on creating income generating activities, which will enable them to diversify their sources of income during this crisis. So, so it's been an opportunity for you to expand who you're working with and your reach and the kind of activities that you're doing in response to the crisis. So one of the innovation dimensions we're looking at is how these approaches are disrupting the status quo. So starting with wider system or sector level disruption, Julia, how would you describe this for the incubation program? Our approach focuses on urban areas and non-COP settings. It creates a bridge between humanitarian action and development and breaks the circle of aid dependency. It engages a paradigm shift by acting with and not simply for refugees. Our incubation program is a practical way for an inclusive and democratic bottom-up refugee response with a more lasting and higher impact. It allows a transfer of decisional power to affected communities, so it is the humanitarian localization agenda in action. Finally, our program recognizes the important and unique capacities RLOs can add to a sustainable humanitarian response and recovery. These unique capacities can only be demonstrated when RLOs are formally considered and effectively supported as major stakeholders for their own communities and as connectors for other humanitarian actors in cities. Thanks. And Jessica, I'm also interested in how each organization's work or approach has somehow caused it to do things differently or continuously adapt and evolve what I've described as self-disruption. What does this look like for urban refugees as you've been learning by doing with the incubation program? Yes, so as, as you said, uh, our whole Europe program has adopted a strategy of learning by doing and adjusting accordingly. Since the first pilot program with the three RLOs in Malaysia to the current work in Uganda. Through our different program, we have maximized our approach of constant learning and improvement to avoid repeating mistakes from one RLO to another. 
Our approach and organization has to adapt to fit the needs and maturity levels of the refugee-led organization rather than the other way around. While we see that most of the RLOs face the same challenges, like financial challenges, lack of trust and recognition from partners, governance issues, at the start of working with a new RLO, we conduct an audit together to assess the specific needs, strengths, and weaknesses of the organization to tailor the training program accordingly. We have also made changes to the overall process, like expanding the evaluation framework to include new dimensions, such as localization, self-reliance, and social cohesion. And we continue to evolve our work. We will open a new urban refugee-led organization network animation program next year. This will consist of a newsletter designed for urban refugee-led organizations, providing them with technical support, dissemination of funding, and advocacy opportunities, and sharing of, of good practices. Could you talk a bit more about the scalability? So you've scaled from Malaysia to Uganda, and you see your approach as scalable in many other settings and by other organizations that aren't you as well. So what do you see as the key success factors behind you achieving this yourselves, but also enabling others to do the same? Urban Refugees has developed a training curriculum which allows for organizational tailoring and prioritizing hands-on practice over time. Our program includes three phases. So the first phase is a two-month phase which, uh, where we complete an audit or need assessment of the RLO before tailoring the training curriculum. The second phase is the program delivery, so about nine to 10 months. And then the third phase is sustainability. This one takes place in the last three months of the program where we engage with a refugee organization and think with them about the future of the organization and, and the needed change. We also provide financial support. A $5,000 grant is allocated to the RLO to cover core cost or design and implement a project for the community. This is an example of the change we made. In our Malaysian program, this grant was delivered upon completion of the whole training curriculum. But for our Ugandan program, we have decided to allocate this grant after the fundraising training units and the submission of a proposal to urban refugees. This whole point is to combine theory and practice. Urban Refugees aim also to disseminate its approach by firstly being a service provider to NGOs. So for example, by training them to the Europe methodology on how to build meaningful partnership with RLOs or how to strengthen the capacity of the RLO. And also by opening new programs in partnership with other NGOs, such as the Ungarten Consortium model. So the idea is that you continue to learn and refine the methodology as you work with more partners over time. But it's not just you that has to do it. Others will be able to pick up the curriculum. You'll be able to support them in using that elsewhere in other contexts with new partners. So Julia, coming to you again, what are your main takeaways for other organisations based on your experience in complex urban settings? Facing the increase of scattered population needs and the lack of consistent funding in urban and peri-urban areas, refugee-led associations represent an extraordinary opportunity to make urban refugee aid more sustainable, more appropriate, and less costly. Arelos requires consistent funding as well as capacity building opportunities. This is a legitimate and cost-effective way to increase the localization of programs and to make responses more inclusive of affected populations. Supporting the development of organizations trusted by refugee communities increases the likelihood that hidden refugees and the most vulnerable will seek services and support in cities. Comprehensive advocacy capacity support and mentoring enables them to expand their community self-help and protection services and to strengthen organizational sustainability and transparency. Thanks. And I'm, I think particularly in the current climate when everyone is really talking about a renewed emphasis on localization and models for how to do that, but for how to do it at scale. I think the work that you're doing and helping to share that with other audiences is really important and inspiring as a model for how to do this. So what's next? What and, what and where next for your incubation program in, in and beyond Kampala? And uh, how can we keep in touch with your work? We are currently in a three-year project in Kampala. So we have started since the 1st of August, year two of our program. And we are working now with two new organizations. 
uh, the Somali Community Association of Uganda and the Refugee-Led Network Organization, which is a network of 20 organizations. This represents new challenges for us and it will maximize the dissemination of our approach. We are also working on launching our, our program in other countries, probably in Middle East or maybe Kenya. And you can follow us directly on our website, but we are also very active on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram at Urban Refugees. Thank you. And we'll include those links in the episode description so listeners can continue to connect with you and see how your expansion in and beyond Uganda goes. Thank you both so much for your time. And we really look forward to engaging more with your fantastic work over the coming months. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Vicky. You can find links to more information and resources on both this innovation case study and the Centre's 2020 Civil Society Innovation and Urban Inclusion Report in the podcast description. Many thanks to our producer, Julia Pazos, for all your hard work in making this podcast series happen. This podcast is kindly supported by the Konrad Adenauer Stiftung and its Strong Cities 2030 initiative, promoting global collaboration and knowledge sharing for sustainable urban development.